Welcome to Talking Architecture and Design. My name is Branko Melitic and today our guest is Steve Fox, Principal at BIM Consulting. Steve specialises in digital design and construction. He is the General Manager of BIM Consulting and Strategic Advisor for Digital Technology Implementation to the parent company Architectus. After 15 years as working as an architect, he has spent the last 10 years in technological leadership positions in multidisciplinary, multidisciplinary get that right, uh, design studios in Sydney and London. He has expertise in implement in digital implementation, project information management, training, BIM management and digital engineering, BIM to FM integration, open BIM, 3D modeling, 3D coordination, clash detection, and emerging technologies. Steve is an Autodesk Revit certified professional and holds a Building Smart BIM creds strategic qualification. And Steve is also a lecturer, I believe, at Sydney Uni. So welcome, Steve, and thank you very much for taking the time out of your really busy schedule to have a chat with us here at Talking Architecture and Design. Thanks, Franco. What a lovely introduction, and it's lovely to be here. Was it was it correct? Did I miss anything? Uh, no, um, yeah, I think you've, you've pretty much summed it all up. Um, you know, it's probably quite a flattering intro. <laughs> so, firstly, can you tell me, uh, um, fill me in, and, and the listeners on the, on the on the actual relationship between BIM and Architectus, please? Yeah, sure. Um, I was employed uh, at BIM Consulting sort of six years ago and soon realised that, um, you know, there was a real part for me to play in the establishment of some enhanced digital technologies um, at, at Architectus to continue the good legacy that existed um, on the back of the one Bly Street project that Architectus delivered uh, uh, almost 10 years ago. And so therefore, I, I, I built a team around us. So. In some ways, I wear two hats. I wear, I wear a hat which supports the digital technology and innovation, ability to get the most out of our designers and um, delivery specialists on architectural projects. But also, um, and what's really important is that I, I manage a, this independent subsidiary company, BIM Consulting, and we um, offer BIM management services to the industry. Um, it could be designers, it could be contractors, it, uh, and often it could be um, building owners and operation um, specialists. So we, we cover a broad, broad spectrum to, to try to assist people with their technology needs and to try to um, lead them into some uh, innovative solutions that um, really propel them forwards. Okay, so just a general question. How, how are uh, you and BIM Consulting, uh, and along with Architectus, I guess, going with the uh, pandemic and lockdown and, of course, with the associated economic slowdown? I mean, you know, as most firms, we're probably feeling feeling the pinch to some degree. Some sectors have been impacted worse than others. It would be, that's that's quite sad for a lot of practices, and there's been a general slowing down in other sectors as well. But look, we're holding in there. We're trying to keep our, our people busy and move people across the business as best we can. And look, in in some ways, we we find ourselves in a in a position where we are even more connected from this working home environment. And, and that what that means for us is that our projects have gone from being really well managed to, you know, being incredibly well managed by our leadership group. Okay, so do you think that the whole industry or the wider industry will change after all this is over? And if so, how? I guess there's no, no doubt that um, th things are gonna change people's perspectives on, on work and the way we engage with people is, is definitely changing. There's social distancing that we're all part of right now is uh, impacting our day-to-day -day lives. 
um, socially and, and at work. Uh, as we are now hearing in the media that we might be um, looking to slowly move back to an in-studio in approach, working approach, which is fascinating. The, the way that we uh, distance ourselves, the way we try to manage a um, no-touch environment, uh, a hygienic sort of arrival and um, work journey will be really interesting to see how that um, eventuates. And certainly our um, our business leaders are, are, are in full swing now, looking at how we manage and um, uh, establish um, a, a distributed workforce of the future, which um, is one, how we distance ourselves within a, within an office, but also how we manage this quite successful work from home environment. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, it is challenging. I guess uh, there won't be as much flying, I, I don't think. Uh, I think we'll be doing meetings like this uh, much more and more. Um, let's talk about data. Um, there has been, well, to, to be you know, mild, an, an exponential explosion in not only the, um, the amount of, of, of data that we get, but also the type of data we have access to and we can utilise. Um, especially in the built environment um, and just recently obviously we, we've, we're now getting drone data which we we've obviously haven't had before so can you explain to um, laypersons such as myself um, you know uh, people who, who may not really understand the implication of all this data how has this affected your world and your work i mean uh, data is a new currency you know so we hear um, it's it, it's there's so much of it coming through to us and how we manage it can be quite challenging. Um, it, it's, I guess it depends which aspect I talk about, but I mean, if we talk about the way that architects use, use data or architecture firms are able to manage, uh, uh, the new, the new version of data, which is, you know, let's say 3d modeling as an example. Um, there's no doubt from a technology point of view, if you like, that there's more of it. Uh, there's, it, it it takes up more storage space, it puts more drain on our systems, and and therefore there's challenges from a technology perspective. A lot of it's served up in the cloud now, and um, particularly as we're working from home, we need to be able to access it, and cloud solutions seem to be more prevalent in the way that we store and house that. It all comes with a cost, of course, when we do that. So we're seeing a lot of infrastructure change from a physical management of data point of view. Um, and you know, you, uh, one of the really interesting things is an example. Um, 3D laser scanning is is a huge part and parcel of architecture design now. Establishing sites with that sort of data is really important, and um, we're moving away from traditional surveys. And that in itself creates a huge amounts of data to serve up to our our people, um, and and so we have to have solutions around that. And uh, I don't know if anyone's really necessarily got the answers to this. Everyone's sort of scrambling around trying to understand how to how to manage all of this this incoming data. Um, from a point of view, from an owner and operator, and ultimately, you know, these are our and our, our clients. These are the people that inherit our designs, inherit our buildings, or our infrastructure projects. They're far more interested now in um, leveraging the data that we provide in the design and construction phases of projects, and how they can use that more effectively in the management of their of their assets. And that's something that architects aren't normally used to thinking about, but we're seeing that there's a real appetite for it. And so part of my role is to actually frame up ways where we can 
you know, use all the smarts of building information modeling and serve it up into projects. So there's a legacy of project data that flows through the project. It can be used by the contractors of, of the world and, and ultimately be used to um, provide um, our end users of our buildings um, better access to that information. That's actually interesting what you said about architects not being quite used to it. I mean, do you think that perhaps with all this data, do you think that perhaps that we have to start changing the way we we um, train and, and, and you know and, and teach architects when, when, when we talk about all this data? There's definitely something in that, Branko. I think that architecture as a field and, uh, is so diverse and there's so many aspects to it. You know, I think of my own... Um, education, you know, architectural history was a, a big component. Um, innovation through design studios was, was had a huge component, but also the, and the creative parts of, of design and all of the technical parts as well. And in many ways, we've, we've become very specialised, not only in different sectors, but also in the nature of where we are in the project life cycle. You know, maybe in a smaller firm, you're, a, you're an architect that's able to manage an end-to-end -end project, all the way from feasibility to delivery. But then there's others that really sit very, in a very specialised environment and, and you can't, it's so hard to teach that in, in a short amount of time to, to students but most certainly there is an appetite for practical skills to help give them uh, better opportunities as they as they leave um, their uh, undergraduate courses and you know and i lecture at Sydney university and and just something simple like teaching them the software that they're likely to use in the workplace is very important to them and part of that i talk about to the students are the importance not only to realize your own aspirations as a designer or an architect or whatever it might be but there's a bigger part to play in industry and as, you know architects play such a pivotal lead role and in providing all of that information in these 3d models as an if I, you know talk about 3d models as an example of how you contain data and information we think see things like um quantity surveyors and um, um, cost planners we see um, um the the, the contractors looking to use the models to simulate the construction sequencing. Uh, we're looking at energy simulation. So we're looking at the way that um, ESD um, consultants can use our three uh, the architectural models and, and look at uh, sustainability outcomes. So, you know, we, what we produce doesn't necessarily only serve our own purposes, but it can serve so much more. And I think an awareness of that is really important coming to your question. Okay. So, I thought as a uni lecturer you'd have a view on that, but um, I'm looking at something that, that I, I have a bit of experience in. Like I reported in the manufacturing sector a lot back in the early days on, on ERP, or you know, you know, it was um, economic resource planning or enterprise resource planning, um, which relied heavily on data sharing, um, and it failed. So just wondering is is data only as good as the humans that share that data is that the case um and is that an issue in the built environment certainly the data the data is important in the project life cycle and if it's structured poorly you'll get poor results as um we're all familiar i'll, I'll try to put an analogy around the a, a platform a, a cloud-based platform like search engines on, on internet sites keyword searching or the ability to search for information is primarily important and the success of that really relate revolves around how well data is structured in um you know the the 
content, if you like, of, of, of what you're searching for. So get to the point, if I wanted to do a Google search for a podcast in architecture and design, then I would probably find those keywords are really important. And, and, and you could sort of say the same thing about 3D models. If we structure the data correctly, if we call a wall a wall and a floor a floor, um, and a bit of concrete, a bit of concrete, when you search for that data, if you've structured it badly, if you've created it in tools which aren't, aren't creating it in, uh, in the way they're supposed to and those relationships aren't correct, it's not going to serve us well. And you'll get those problems that you talked about early, which is that you get failures. So, you know, there is a, there is a real need to structure our models correctly, uh, observe potentially classification systems that, you know, the industry is certainly familiar with, but uh, things that architects aren't necessarily that, uh, uh, don't necessarily see the, the full value in it. Um, while architects don't see the full value in it, there's certainly other people around us that, that do see the value. And we, I, I do appreciate that all of that additional layering and structuring of data comes with the time and a cost penalty to architects. But um, we have, I think we really need to move past that and go, well, you know what, the, the value to the supply chains is so great that it's in everyone's interest to get it done because without doing it, you know what, we might end up burning time further down the track um, to, to sort these problems out. It's the old uh, what measure measure twice, cut once, um, you know, idea, is it? Yeah, I like that. I like that idea. Absolutely. <laughs> um, put the effort in earlier, and um, you get the results later. And you know that really is the mantra of BIM that we um, design it virtually once, and it gets built correctly um, at, at the end. Okay, on that point, uh, the, the increased use of BIM and, and, and data and whatnot in the design of commercial buildings, has this um, changed the design or um, what, in terms of help with sustainability and, and safety for that matter? I mean, you know, we, we're having an issue with, you know, um, cladding and whatnot. Uh, obviously, there's, there's these issues with, you know, there are other issues we've seen We've seen more in residential, but also in some in commercial. Has has data and BIM um, helped with sustainability and safety when it, when, over the past few years? Uh, I, I think that it probably has, Branko. I think we are definitely able to analyse our models more successfully. We are there's a whole series of tools that are built to bolt on to to three D models and BIM that enables us to get better, more accurate results, more verifiable information. Particularly with sustainability, us, we see um, that the, the tools are able to give us very accurate scientific levels of information. And um, what's really fascinating is that whole data-driven approach to design, um, it yields great results. And so by testing and verifying iterations, we are able to get to better outcomes. Um, we're even moving into a, a an even more interesting phase where not only we're just um, testing iterations of design, but we're actually now asking the computers to say, well, if our ob objective is to get the most sustainable approach on a facade system or a, the orientation of a louver, um, run the analysis in an evolutionary solver um, for some technical talk and for, um, give us the, the, the optimum angle or the optimum design or the optimum um, wall to window ratio. 
so these sorts of things, just as using a simple example in the facade, uh, are areas where um, this te these technologies are really um, offering huge benefits um, back to the industry. As far as safety is concerned, we're seeing definitely, if I think about a movement towards prefabrication, you know, we know that uh, mass timber buildings are uh, becoming more and more prevalent and architects are doing a lot of that right now in that space and have got uh, runs on the board there. Um, we're getting great creative outcomes through the use of BIM and the ability to iterate and test and achieve a higher level of detailing that we probably ne um, never never got to in, in traditional projects with BIM. And what we're seeing there is the ability to, to um, transition those, those models in those modular components and it could be um, in CLT beams, as an example, across the supply chain, um, you know the, the the safety in itself is is far improved because you're pre you're, you're manufacturing offsite in a controlled environment. Um, trades aren't scrambling over one another, and it's delivered to site. There's less traffic movements, less um, injuries on site through traffic related incidents, and we're getting um, better bang for our buck. We're getting you know uh, projects which aren't delayed, and we're getting projects which are um, tightly costed and delivered on budget. We recently ran an op-ed from a well-known architect, okay, this is kind of the, the devil's advocate question I'm going to ask you now, who said that the biggest, or one of the biggest problems that architects have come from project managers, okay? So BIM, the whole concept of, of data, kind of accentuates that, would you say? And, and do do um to extend that question a bit um to perhaps um downplay that a bit do architects need to you know embrace the data a bit more i think everyone needs to embrace the data a bit more if i have to be honest and no one wants to be left squandering in a career you know where um more agile more digitally focused more um, digitally adaptable people are coming through and proving themselves you know i've i've certainly seen a real transformation in in the people in our architecture firm that are really able to you know, enthusiastically pick up the tools and to to run with them to be able to embrace the technologies around them to see the results and you know it's difficult in, in transitioning into a digital age um, where it can be quite confusing i think if there's any advice I can offer, it would be to get some runs on the board, get some quick, easy wins, and demonstrate to those to those, to those senior people that may have some doubts that you know there is real real benefit in doing this. And, and we've seen that we've seen um, the challenges around um, proving that the extra investment in time to to produce something and generate any more data, so so to say. Uh, does actually yield some some far better results, particularly around computation um, and the ability to manipulate data in more automated ways. It's uh, something that I, 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 uh, it's a team of people that I lead that, that try to do that at Architectus and BIM Consulting. And when we start to see optimization um, and we start to see the improvement in productivity, that's when um, you know the the light bulb moment hits and um, we we get investment and. Um, in, in, from 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 management, um, and look, even more broadly, project managers uh, are also really searching to find their place in, with with BIM. They are definitely um, encouraged by it. They definitely see the ability to um, leverage 
the information and they look to us to say to help them in many cases and we've got a couple of client side projects where we are the verifier of of the incoming project information have been consulting and really what what we're aiming to do is frame up the information so that they can genuinely see the progress you know if i can think about the the huge value project managers offer to the industry is the ability to um, um, uncomplicate some of the information around program and and progress and i think bim can really play to play to that play a role there for project managers Going back to sustainability and something that, that uh, we're uh, over here at Architecture and Design are very much focused on, uh, can you give me an example where, where data has helped increase the sustainable outcomes of, of a project and, and how you know, were these outcomes, you know, how, how much did they increase? Yeah, it's a great question. And coming out of this 2019-2020 bushfire crisis, we really refocused our efforts at Architectus. While, while we were always had an interest in, in using um, computational tools to um, review designs and analyze designs, we doubled down our efforts, you know, and we formed a task group and we really are genuinely committed to looking to see how the data can, can be leveraged and how we can bring the results into an early design phase. Some of the things, if I can give you some examples are, um, if I think of embodied carbon as, as one component of that, the ability for us to use a, a tool, and there's a few vendors out there um, still um, developing, of course, and always will be, the ability for us to take the BIM model to, to and, and if it's structured correctly, if a column's a column, a floor is a floor, a roof's a roof, we can elementally push that through the tool and start to iterate and say, what if it's concrete? Or what if it's mass timber? And that's a even at, at an early stage, we can demonstrate back to our client, we can show them the data and show them what the embodied carbon is going to be, in, you know, as a, as a rating. So that's just one example of how we're using the data connected to BIM and how we're analysing it. We're also looking at the way that we can use, I think heat, the obvious ones to do are um, heat loading on facades. You know, this is, you know, the sun's coming in, we're trying to work out how to optimise um, um, our building efficiency, our energy performance, and that's more of an operational uh, life cycle um, issue there because you know, we don't want over, overload, overloaded air conditioning systems having to constantly battle with the, with the incoming sun. So, you know, how are we operating with wall-to-window ratios? How are we managing orientation of louvers? How many louvers? How deep are they? These are all things which we have instinctively known, but not necessarily had the the hard data to support. So we, we are now looking at um, having a little guidebook, if you like, a little chat, a cheat book on like what, what those optimised solutions might be and really simplistically to, to cover different orientations of buildings, to cover um, the sun shading dynamics, the wall to window ratios, just at, that's where we're at, at the moment in our journey and maintaining the balance of daylighting again we can collect the data on daylighting for every solution that we we look at and it's important that you know that that plays into the whole sustainability effort and of course all these things um comes the aesthetics you know and we don't want to make compromises to to our aesthetics we want the best solutions for our buildings and for our clients 
And so we we do we're also doing things like um, uh, looking at well wellness and looking at views to the outside. You know, and we can also believe it or not analyze views from the outside um, and optimize that with with data. So it's really fascinating some of the tools that are. Uh, we're able to use just, and that's just a, a probably the tip of the iceberg in terms of where, where, where the journey is going. Okay, I'm I'm glad you said journey because the next the last two questions are about you know um, Steve Fox becoming the the um the visionary the guru. Okay, so in terms of the industry or, or basically what you teach, um, where do you think we'll be in say twelve to eighteen months? Uh, I'm not sure if I can um, really take that, that accolade of a visionary, but um, certainly I have my ideas. I, you know, I read about the the the, the, the office of the future. Um, look, I I think we're going to see more and more leveraging of, of data. We're going to see parametric modelling becoming the norm. We're going to see a, an upskilling in the in the construction arena as well at the moment engineers and architects of the world are doing this really well and have been for years and um, we're going to start to see improvement in the way that that transition through construction uh, we're probably going to see an appetite for digital twins and there's been a lot of um, talk about that and um, it's still largely untested um, we're, we're starting to see some good results and how uh, asset owners can integrate BIM into a a more more sophisticated digital twin, so to speak, environment. Focusing in on technologies. I mean, we're only talking 12 months, 18 months. That'll be on us in no time. Computationally, I think we'll be stronger. The students that come out of universities will have better capacity to manage data, to automate, to optimize. Uh, so I think I think just a progression of where we're already at, uh, Franco. Well, uh, sorry, what does digital twin actually mean? <laughs> digital twin. Oh, I'm embarrassed that I've actually brought that idea up. It's, but but it it you know it's it's a way to describe, I guess, the a representation of some some data of the real world. And you can, in my, in my mind, I think you can even have a digital twin without a a model, right? You know, building sensors are giving you information on a dashboard, or you know, fire alarm system, a BMS system might be telling you what's happening in your building. I, sort of see that as a digital twin but it's just a, a ter- bit of terminology i suppose that's been sort of tacked onto the idea that maybe a bim model could be used as a as a central dashboard for building information as in, in an active um, building management sense um, so look um, more to come on that we're starting to see some vendors um, looking at that but but with anything we have to see there's real value for, for owners at the end of the day and uh I think um, even owners and operators of facilities are, are going through a digital transformation in their own right, becoming more sophisticated in the building technologies. Um, and it's certainly something I've been really fascinated about, particularly as we uh, are in this hypersensitive situation where um, we're trying to maintain high, you know, high levels of hygiene. And you know, I'm I'm sort of wondering how our workplace design team are going to start to offer solutions to our clients. You know, are they going to be suggesting that you know sensor-based and voice-activated building control systems become um, more more part of building design? You know, just simple things like opening doors and visiting the bathroom can that be a touch-free experience? Um, operating lights and heating and cooling and AV equipment could that be a no-touch solution? 
And are we going to be more dependent on mobile apps and um, notification systems um, to give us more structure and maybe staggering the way that we move through our physical environment uh, to avoid congestion? So, you know, these I'm, I'm, I'm very fascinated about technologies and, and the way that we, we can use those. Um, I guess that all plays, into, back to your question, into the, the digital twin um, solution. Well, since you're fascinated with technology, which is not a surprise, by the way, but in terms of technology and, and data, um, where will we be in, say, 10 or 15 years' time? And I'm happy for you to talk about AI and, and that flying car that I was promised uh, <laughs> 40 years ago. I don't know if I can speculate on that necessarily, but what I, what I can, can sort of say is that I would never have imagined that we that what we've certainly achieved in my short time in six years, I could never have seen that coming. I could never have seen that we had a team of people that are getting into the API, the um, application program interfaces of, of computer applications and hacking around, so to speak, with the data to try to um, integrate applications, to try to pull data out in a way that it wasn't necessarily designed to be done the way that we're building our own applications to manage work. And we've just developed a program called BCAP, which um, it centralizes project information, and um, uh, manages tasks and issues. Um, so, you know, we're, I think there's going to be, you know, a, a wave of programming specialists that come out and start to be employed by architecture firms. But maybe that's only a year or two or three years away. Who knows what's going to happen in 15? Um, I, I think what's interesting, I can talk about the technologies that we thought might be the future that may not. I mean, VR has sort of was huge in 2017 and we've, I'm not so sure that that's become a mainstream application. It's certainly a useful tool. Um, I guess uh, augmented reality is the technologies around that are going to be far better as, as we know, um, the capacity for computers um, to constantly evolve at an exponential scale in terms of memory and, um, and uh, resources are, uh, will probably suggest that augmented reality will be quite easily achievable at the moment. Uh, we don't have enough computer resources to generate them in wearables, like glasses as an example. There's just not enough computer power to run them, but I, I think that will probably be a huge aspect of, of the, 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 the nature of design and construction in the future. But yeah, look, it's um, an interesting one. We haven't even mentioned artificial intelligence, but I was alluding to the idea of like machine learning before when I was talking about the ability to ask the computer to solve a problem for you rather than what we're doing at the moment, which is to use really cool sophistication and innovation around testing and analyzing, asking the computer to solve objectives of design will definitely be like a, a huge, um, quest for the for, for the for the um, designers of the world and the, the um, this this industry. The um, what I mean by that is, you know, how do you get the best solutions delivered to you automatically um, and demonstrated? And moving away from someone with you know twenty years experience who knows knows a lot can count for a lot of experience, but then being proven that there are better, more optimal solutions. And the challenges with all this, Branko, I mean, I'm sort of, can give you some, maybe back this up with an analogy of uh, master planning for a city block. Mm -hmm. There are often huge numbers of objectives in designing that. And, you know, we've got such creative people that can come up with solutions and they're often going to be right. 
we have the ability now we will in the future to test multiple objectives simultaneously and sometimes they they act against one another as an example if your objective was to take a city block and increase the gross floor area um, you would have multiple towers all clustered together and you would probably um, compensate have to compensate on uh, daylight access or you know open open space now so on the flip side if your um, objective was to create maximum access to solar then your gfi gfa would obviously need to be balanced out and compromised there this is an example of two um, examples but you could apply that same thinking to all sorts of examples even in a in an office space as an example um, you know, uh, uh, maybe from a health point of view, how do you maintain the most optimum um, social distancing, but but trying to maximise the number of people you can fit in your space? These things sort of um, sit opposite to one another, and the ability for the computer to iterate that and maybe create layouts or create um, alternative solutions, and where you can guide the computer and say, I've got more of a uh, leaning or uh, towards having more GFA than access to solar, it will give you the 5,000 iterations that, that are available to you. So it's about the ability to automate, I think, um, solutions as opposed to just iterating manually. I think that will be a, a really, really key, key evolution of our industry. I just want my flying car. Could have thought we'd have hoverboards by now. I was looking forward to that. <laughs> Steve Fox, Principal at BIM Consulting, thank you very much for your time today. Look, that was absolutely fascinating. Um, I've learned something. I, I no doubt the listeners will um, will also learn quite a bit. And uh, no doubt we will also speak again. Thank you so much, Franco. You've been listening to Talking Architecture and Design. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>